Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome back to Pediapod. And I'll start with a brief service announcement. For the past year or so, the podcast has centred each episode on an early career investigator and one of their recently published paediatric research manuscripts. But from 2024 onwards, we're diversifying the feed and we'll rotate between essentially three different formats. The first will explore one of the paper collections from the paediatric research website. The second will shine a light on a senior investigator who's had a lasting impact in paediatric research. You may previously have heard conversations with Max Vento and Donna Ferrero as two recent examples. And the third episode type will explore what's hot and new in a particular specialty. So today's episode is a collections episode, and I'll be speaking with Carrie Nadeau. She recently guest edited a series on global climate change for paediatric research. Here she is. My name is Dr. Kari Nadeau. I'm at the Harvard School of Public Health as the Chair of Environmental Health. I also run the Climate Change and Global Environment Center called Sea Change. And then finally, I'm the John Roth Professor of Climate and Population Studies at Harvard. So I'm really excited about being here today with you. So you sound like a good choice to have guest edited this series on global climate change. Could you give us a sense of why you think now was the right time for pediatric research to have a, a collection on climate change? I think now is a critical time. Children, for the most part, don't have a voice. UNICEF reported that a child born today will suffer from at least one climate change event in their lifetime. Not only that, children that are born in inequitably exposed communities, they have been exposed to the environment more so than anyone. And unfortunately, that will compound itself over a child's lifetime. We need to make sure at this juncture and knowing that the climate literally is on fire and that it's our time as adults to act now, that as pediatricians, as healthcare providers, as parents, as guardians, as people that care about the future, we want to make sure that we can focus on children. At first glance, you know, you might think that climate change and pediatrics are quite disparate fields of science in a way. So can you give us a, a sense of how exactly they're linked? When we think about climate change, we have the opportunity to give anticipatory guidance. We have the opportunity to prevent worsening events, not only because we can reduce greenhouse gases and we can help reduce climate change, and that's us as individuals and us as governments, but also as pediatricians, as healthcare providers. This is how we think. Pediatricians have anticipatory guidance for trauma. 
We have anticipatory guidance for vaccines. We have anticipatory guidance for what to expect when you're an adolescent. So that's just part of who we are. And when you think about climate change, we have the opportunity to not only educate about climate change and things like heat stress and how that affect, might affect the body of your baby or toddler or five-year-old, but we have the opportunity to not only educate about how bad heat stress is, let's say, for children, which is associated with climate change, but we also can give handouts to say, okay, here's what you want to do if your baby is in a hot environment. Here's what to do. There's all sorts of guidance that as pediatricians we can provide for flooding, for wildfires, for heat stress. So all of these things, Jeff, are really important and it's embedded in who we are as pediatricians. Would you say that climate change is particularly relevant within your area of expertise, allergies, asthma, immunology? Absolutely. So I also practice both in adults and children, see a lot of families with these issues. Um, I do also see patients with autoimmune disease and cancers. So unfortunately, you know, wildfire smoke, air pollution haven't really seen any boundaries in terms of the globe or ages, but children are at a high chance of having diseases because of this. And we know from COVID, the immune system is such a critical nexus point by which we can understand biology, understand how we respond as the host to outside influences. That includes allergens. So when we get exposed to air pollution, for example, or wildfire smoke, and that lands on our skin, unfortunately, there's already data showing that that activation disrupts the skin barrier and activates the allergic pathway, activates autoimmune disease. So there are now studies as well as work to show that if this happens, this is a response of our body to it. There's also other data to show that if you have a lot of air pollution in your lungs, and that affects your blood and your immune system, you're not going to be able to fight viruses very well. So for children, when they get exposed to air pollution, get exposed to heat stress, get exposed to extreme cold, for example, that worsens their asthma, it dysregulates their immune system. And allergies affect at least 40% of the globe. In some regions of the world, sometimes 50% of the children have asthma. There is, of course, geographical variation in the effects of climate change. There has been this notion in the past that climate change is something that affects the developing world and sort of the much hotter parts of the planet. Would you counter that and say that it's a global problem? Yes, it's a global problem. It's relevant to everyone and especially is relevant to the younger age groups. But unfortunately, those people that are under-resourced are more affected by it. They're at higher risk to be able to have long-term consequences. If you live in a place where drought is going to affect your crops and you're not going to be able to eat season to season, like in places in sub-Saharan Africa, that's going to affect your family and your children. That's going to affect pregnant women and their nutrition. But everyone on the planet has been affected by climate change, whether that's directly or indirectly, whether or not you were waiting on an IV bag in a hospital in Texas because the IV bag was coming from Puerto Rico where the hurricane hit, or you're directly affected by climate change because you have had wildfire next door in your home near San Francisco. So there's really no boundaries. Dust storms, for example, in the Middle East, they circumnavigate the globe within three days. There are ways to go online and look at monitoring so that you are aware of what's happening in your environment, but no one is immune. 
And as we've sort of alluded to, this area, this crossover between climate change and as it pertains to paediatrics is quite new. What do we know? Are there any sort of parts of this that are quite well established so far? I think the major questions that have been answered are in each degree that that increases either in centigrade or Fahrenheit, we know how much that's going to worsen your asthma or how much that's going to worsen your likelihood of having heat stroke for babies, especially. Now, we need to understand that more, but we know that heat stress is bad, that heat stress induces inflammation, that heat stress induces asthma, that it induces other diseases too, and that you can die from heat stress. We know flooding is bad. We know flooding carries diseases. It carries bacteria, and children especially can be more sensitive to those fungi and bacteria than adults. We know climate change is associated with warmth and vector-borne diseases. We know malaria is on the rise. We know dengue is on the rise. And those affect children. Tick-borne diseases are on the rise, too. And that's really unfortunate. And again, this is really due to global warming and the changes in our environment. We know that because of the increase in global warming, there's more pollens. And that's dangerous because that increases allergies and asthma. So these are the things we really know for children are not good. We also know pollution is very bad for children. Wildfire smoke, very bad for their lungs, for their immune system, for their developing heart. They get increases in blood pressure. So a lot of people have studied this. So we know a lot about the bad things that happen. We need to focus on solutions now and see to what extent solutions can help. Let's discuss that. Where do you think the major gaps in our knowledge of those solutions exist? I think the gap is in making sure that we understand what solutions are being implemented. Like when a bus goes from a diesel bus to an electric bus in the schoolyard, to what extent before and after does that help someone's asthma? So those are the types of solutions that are being implemented now that we could just test. There's also now conversions of wood stoves or gas stoves to electric stoves. Indoor air pollution is very dangerous. We spend 90% of our lives indoors, especially children and schools, and they're spending a lot of time in places where they could be exposed to gas stoves, and we need to know what happens when electric stoves are put in and to what extent their health gets better. So these are the types of things that need to be studied because solutions are being implemented now. We also want to make sure there's no unintended consequences of solution. Like if you're going to be putting in an air filter into a school, make sure that it works, right? And then by measuring the health outcome and seeing whether or not children are improving in their breathing, which is very easily monitored, you could say this age group, it didn't work as well as let's say this age group or this school, it didn't work as well as that school because they had a different geography. The other thing that's a big gap is like I was saying, compounding effects over someone's lifetime. We need to have more studies where we're following children over their lifetime to see to what extent these solutions work well or not. And are we, in your opinion, fully equipped to answer these questions and fill in these gaps? And if not, is it new methodologies we need? Is it new technologies? If you had a magic wand to, um, you know, speed up the advance of climate change and, and pediatric research, how would you do it? What do we need? Great question. You know, right now, we need to broadly educate more people as to what the tools are and how accessible they are. So in general, in the climate change mantra, as well as discussions globally in policy and governance, we have all the technologies. We have the money, actually, to be able to reduce climate change and global warming. We need to have the political willpower. And in that, 
to be able to create that political will and that good citizenship, we as pediatricians and as researchers, we can try to provide the science towards helping policymakers know that their decisions are good or bad. And to me, we use children as the measurement tool because children are our future. So I think, yes, the tools are there. We have the technology. I would say to have people get very knowledgeable about artificial intelligence, about machine learning, about satellite communications, about making sure that they understand that if their research is going to focus on a solution, have it be community-based, community-driven. The solutions have to be hyper-local. And to me, the solutions need to always study how they're affecting children as well as other vulnerable populations. Because if we can't help those populations, then our solutions really didn't work. And presumably understanding climate change's impacts on children and infants and tackling those problems is going to necessarily be a multidisciplinary struggle. And so who do you think pediatric researchers should be aiming to team up with? I think there's a lot of wonderful researchers that want to team up with pediatricians. So I know in my own experience, it's been very welcoming from epidemiologists to data scientists to business people to economicists to be able to understand benefit-cost ratio. For every dollar that we put into renewable energy, for example, we get at least $6 out in terms of improving health for children. Like That's a business directive and a good deal that we should all know about. We also work with government policymakers. We need to make sure that we work with our senators and representatives more. So to me, it's a multidisciplinary team from A to Z. You get your researchers together from different aspects. We need that. We also need ecologists and biologists and people that understand the planet because biodiversity is important here too. We know a lot about how biodiversity is important for our general health and especially for children. And mental health issues and climate change are a big topic. And I want to make sure we emphasize that today. So that's a big gap of research that I hope people can work on. But yeah, I think that overall, there's a lot of hope and promise. We used to deliver on that, and we do have the tools, technology, and different disciplines need to work together. We can no longer be in our tower or our fishbowl anymore. We need to work across disciplines, and that will best frame our questions and our solutions. That was Carrie Nadeau from the Harvard School of Public Health. And that's it for this episode. See you next time. I'm Jeff Marsh. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.